0: Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. Friends, we're looking at John chapter 5 this morning, and John chapter 5 begins with Jesus going up to Jerusalem. Uh, It follows the miracle in John chapter 4, where Jesus uh, met a man who was an official, a royal official in Herod's household, and he had traveled 20 miles to get to Jesus, because his son was dying. And he begged Jesus, he said, my son is dying. Come back to my house, it's 20 miles away, and, and heal him. And, and Jesus, he thought that there, that was the only possibility that Jesus would come to his house and heal him, or, or Jesus would not come and his son would die. But there was a, a third option, go, Jesus said, your son will live. Go home. Go home. Trust my word. Your son will live. And that, that royal official modeled for us this life of faith. We don't see Jesus. We don't feel Jesus. John did. John saw him, touched him, had his head on his heart. and, and But we, are, we're, we, we walk by faith. We walk by faith. So this, this uh, man, this of uh, Herod's household, he walked by faith and he modeled faith for us. And in John 20 it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs which are uh, in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John's mission statement. John is telling us, I'm writing this thing. It's not just a bunch of facts I'm telling you. I want to tell you something. I want you to come to know Jesus like I have. Put your faith in him and have eternal life in him. And that's ultimately why John wrote his gospel and he included seven miracles and we've looked at a couple of them. Uh, he did not uh, cho- chose out of the many uh, he didn't just say, oh, I'll choose this one. No, each miracle he chose had a purpose. He only chose seven. And uh, we're going to look at a man this morning who uh, was at the pool of Bethesda, had waited 38 years. Have you ever had to wait a long time for something? Yep, some people have saying, yeah. Uh, well, it says in verse uh, 2, sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the Ju- one of the Jewish festivals and in jerusalem near the sheep gate there was a pool called bethesda covered by five colonnades and uh, since the time of nehemiah this gate had been used for sheep and shepherds to go in shepherds bringing their sheep in for the dinner plate or for the temple worship and beside that gate there was a pool the pool of bethesda beth in hebrew means house So you you know the word Bethlehem, that's house of bread. In this case, Bethsaida means house of mercy or house of healing or house of grace. And the pools that were there at the sheep gate in this, this Bethesda, they were used for both medicinal and religious purification purposes. So when pilgrims were traveling to Jerusalem, they would go to this pool and they would bathe and purify themselves before worship. And archaeology has uncovered this pool with the five covered colonnades. It's very big. It's divided into smaller pools. And does uh, anyone here ever swum in the Perth pool? Ever been to the Perth pool? Yeah. You could fit four Perth pools into the Pool of Bethesda. That's how big it was. But it wasn't just a pool where pilgrims gathered for purification. Lying all around the pool, there were um, a great number of disabled people, it says. Now, uh, some translations say a multitude. When you think of a multitude, you're not thinking about 25 people. There's a lot of people there. Maybe hundreds, a great number. And I want you to think for a moment about the conditions that these people beside the pool of Bethesda lived in, okay? There were no chairlifts, there were no accessible washrooms, baths, or showers. There were men and women and probably children, it doesn't say that, but it says many. So uh, I've been in some pretty wretched conditions in Haiti. And uh, unfortunately, back in the 70s in Canada, where people were left unattended uh, for hours, and uh, it's not pretty, it's wretched. So you can imagine the people there. They were uh, in a bad state, in a wretched state, and they weren't just disabled, but people saw them as having caused their own disability. You know, in another miracle, One of the disciples says to Jesus, when they saw a blind man, "Uh, who sinned here, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? So that was the superstition at the time. So these disabled people would have been considered uh, having sinned or their parents would have sinned that they ended up in that capacity. So because of that, they were on the fringes of society and they were outcasts from the temple. And one who had been there, an invalid, for 38 years, one was there who'd been an invalid for 38 years. Now, is there anybody here who's 38 years old? Yeah, okay, Kevin, okay, Uh, and Louise, Uh, Oh, and Linda, uh, Linda Poirier, you're just 38, aren't you? The average lifespan in those days was 55 so 38 years out of 55 was a long time he had been waiting and waiting can be very hard but as long as we have breath God is not finished with Sharing a personal story this morning from Nancy Kasebo. She shared with me before service. She was in intensive care and she said, I don't want to live anymore. She told the Lord that. But the Lord brought her through and she said, I'm here for a purpose. Okay. The waiting forces us to look in the mirror and acknowledge we're not in control. Now, I knew that theologically. But when you have nowhere else to turn you know it personally you have to replace what if with even if even if because god knows that our greatest need is not to get what we want but to love him more deeply more fully and as i read in psalm 63 this morning and his love is better than life. If we never get the things we pray for, God will still be enough. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? He was sold into slavery by his brothers uh, to caravaners. <clears throat> and for 20 years he, he, he lived in captivity. But Later, when he was reunited with his brothers, he forgave them. Why did he forgive them? Because he recognized God's sovereign plan throughout this whole thing. All the pain, all the trouble he had, he recognized God's sovereign hand in it. While we wait, if we have a pulse, God is involved. He is not finished. But while we wait, here are some things that I've learned. We need hope on the journey. It says in Lamentations, the Lord's compassions never fail. They're new every morning. So turn to his word, turn to his promises, memorize his word. So we go, Jeff's always on to this memorize his word thing. But I'm telling you, when your, when your thoughts start going into a rabbit hole, you can pull yourself back and preach truth to yourself with God's Word. Okay? In the middle of the night, when the lights are out and you're alone and you need God's Word to speak to you, that's when it's so important. Number two, we only have today. We only have today. It's the day the Lord has made. We, we can spend a lot of time lo- losing life Rehearsing again and again, the possible scenarios that lie ahead. And I found the best way for me to keep in the present is to keep a gratitude list. Write things down with a pen and paper. That's old school. Does anybody still use a pen and paper here? Yeah. Because it works. When you spend time putting pen to paper, it changes things. It refocuses you. On the goodness of God, and it keeps you grounded in the moment. Number three, while we wait, we can pray. Lean in close to Jesus, and as we lean in, we will find deeper intimacy. Lorna <clears throat> read this morning uh, Philippians 4 uh, 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. It goes on to say, um, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Pray, my friends. While you wait, you can pray. And the fourth thing I would say, while we wait, is to stay in community. Get into a small group that meets regularly. Break bread together remember Jesus, pray together, encourage one another. And on that note, Nancy Kasebo asked me to say thank you to you this morning. She's here, and she is 100% better than she was, and she recognizes the value of the prayers of the saints, and she doesn't know how to thank you. So I said, I'll do that for you. So it's part of the staying in community. The body of Christ is there for a reason, that we would stay close and we would support each other and pray with one another and make food for one another as we need it. So back to our narrative. Thank you for those little pauses. It gives me an opportunity to drink. So the man who had been an invalid for 38 years, why did Jesus choose to heal this man in particular? Well, he's the only one we're told about, but it says Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded. So he may have healed others, but humanly speaking, we can be led to people. Now, when Sharon and I lived in South Haiti. We were extending primary health care to the fringes of South Haiti. We met a 10-year-old girl at her little home uh, and her name was Dula. And Dula had had an event where her muscles around her knee had been badly damaged. And we were told that she had an infection in her knee and they had tried to burn the infection out with a hot rock from the fire. They still cooked on just charcoal on the ground. It would be a voodoo treatment. And the burn scars, her leg had severely contracted from the scars, and she had been like that for many years when we, when we met her. She was crawling around on the ground, and they called her tsikrab, little crab. And she was 10 years old at this time. So uh, a few days later, we were headed into Port-au-Prince and we brought her to the mission compound where they did physiotherapy and that's it called St. Vincent's. Uh, it's an Episcopalian mission in Port-au-Prince. And uh, <clears throat> this little girl was a pretty wild little thing and she, they, her name for her at the mission was T. Maron, wild thing. <laughs> but eight or nine months later with physiotherapy, she was walking and running. If you could see a close-up of that, you'd see the scars on her knee. But she is, uh, we brought her home, and it was truly a miracle. In other words, we felt we had been clearly led to this one person by the Spirit of God. So in the face of, of, some, of many, sometimes we're paralyzed to do uh, anything, but we, we may not be able to help the many, but we can help the few. So, Jesus says to this man, do you want to get well? And the man who has the infirmity says, I have nobody to help me. Uh, When the water is stirred, I I try to get into the pool, but somebody gets in there before me. So, when the water is stirred refers to what some manuscripts, wholly or in part, include An angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Now, that's just a footnote in most modern translations like the NIV, the NLT, and the ESV. But in the older versions like KGV, they include that. So that was the understanding in the day, that when the water was, there was a superstition. Right? because actually archaeologists found that, that the water did ri- rise and fall because of spring, a spring fed. The question, do you want to get well, is curious. The guy doesn't know who Jesus is, right? And in response to the question, he says, yeah, I want to be healed. I want to get into the water, but I've got no one to help me. He was hanging on by a thread. 38 years he'd been waiting there. The man had faith and he had hope, but it was misplaced faith and misplaced hope. His hope was that he would be the first person into the water when the water was stirred. So when Jesus appears and says to him, starts talking to him, he must have thought, someone finally who can take me down into the pool when the water's stirred, I'll be the first one in there, this this fellow will take me in. But Jesus did not offer him false hope. Jesus didn't say, look, I'm gonna camp here. Okay, we're gonna put some carpet down, get you a new mattress, okay, get you some dates and curds to eat while 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 you're waiting, and, and then when the when the water stirred, I'll get you down in there. Jesus didn't do that. And I think most of us in our lives have been at a point where we don't want dates and curds in a new mattress. <laughs> We want Jesus, and Jesus can do better than dates and curds in a mattress. The only answer, the final answer, is God himself, this God in Christ, who John, in one of his epistles, calls love. God is love, and his love is better than life. Maybe there's another angle on this you could ask yourself, at least I did. Do I want to get well? Do I want to get well? I'm not talking about physical wellness because, of course, we all want to be well. But is there anything hindering me from receiving the goodness of God, whether it be healing or guidance or meeting a need? And the answer is yes. Because often we are emotionally disabled. We are blind to our motivation. Worse than that, we make excuses for our behavior. Like, that's just the way I am. Or we redefine sin to accommodate our preferences in the face of God's holiness. These things can get in the way of our healing, but... Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to search our hearts, look at our motivations and excuses, and repent of them. Do you want to get well, Jesus said. And his response to the men was, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. And Jesus gives us the power to get up and move forward, okay? We were dead. We were dead in our sins and transgressions, but we've been made alive with Christ. Now it's time to get up, get going, love, serve, pray, sing, make music in your hearts with thanksgiving, But the day on which this took place was a Sabbath, so the Jewish leader said to the man, it's the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. You know, it was the Sabbath, and Jesus, on his day of rest, went to the poorest of the poor and ministered love and grace and healing. Why did Jesus heal this guy on the Sabbath? Why didn't he say, Look, my friend, it's a Sabbath day. You'll be okay till tomorrow. Okay. I'm going to come back. We're going to heal you up. Pick up your mat, you go home without any problems. But he didn't. He purposefully healed the man on the Sabbath. And that's this is the heart of the narrative. This is the reason, main reason John included this. By doing it. By telling him to pick up his mat, Jesus stirred up the hornet's nest. He poked the bear. He purposefully inflamed the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees said it's the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. The Sabbath, the day of rest, was designed by God as a gift to us. To rest, to cease from labor, to remember our good and faithful God, But the Pharisees had made rules upon rules to keep people from breaking the Sabbath. So I'll give you an example of one. If you were a tailor and you carried a pin in the lapel of your tunic, you would be in trouble with the Pharisees for carrying the tools of your trade with you on the Sabbath. So they had shrunk it down further and further, so it was just about impossible to to do anything. But Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath the Sabbath wasn't merely for us to rest from our work cease from our labor recharge our batteries it was meant to teach us that we are not self-reliant we can't measure up by our own works to God's standard we're dependent on God's mercy even if we work seven days a week and Paul underlines this when he writes to the church in Ephesus, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And secondly, the Sabbath commandment was to take a break from labor, not take a break from mercy, not take a break from compassion, not take a break from love, Jesus reminded the Pharisees of this in Matthew's Gospel. He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And Jesus, and John reminds us of this in the next part of the narrative. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath... The Jewish leaders began to persecute him and in his defense he said my father is always at at his work to this very day and I too am working it was the Sabbath and God who wrote the Ten Commandments through Moses said don't work on the Sabbath but God was working right God was working the Lord said cease from your labor but God was working God never stops working, even on the Sabbath. Our God of love is constantly active in sustaining his creation, in working all things together for our good. He works mysteriously and miraculously. He works while we're sleeping. Psalm 121 says, He never slumbers or sleeps. He watches over you. The sun will not harm you by day. The moon will not harm you by night. In other words, he's always on duty. He doesn't run out of energy. He doesn't need to take a day off to recharge. His love is inexhaustible. His mercy is unfailing. His grace is endless. And from what I know, the only thing that tires God, the only thing that wearies God, is our sin. And John tells us in an Another one of his letters, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And the psalmist in 103 agreed with that and he said, so great is his love for those who fear him that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now one last point, Uh, Jesus told a fellow to stop sinning or something worse could happen. And I read a bunch of commentaries on this, and and there's lots of different perspectives on what this means, but one thought would be his faith was misplaced, like the family of Dula in Haiti. And maybe Jesus was saying, stop misplacing your faith. You believed that the waters being stirred could heal. Your faith was in a superstition. Put your faith in me. Put your faith in me. Now, uh, I was talking to to Lorna before the service, and I I asked her, what what prompted you to to choose the songs this morning? And she she told me why, but she didn't know and I didn't know because I gave her this message a long time ago, and I didn't finish it until a couple days ago, that this bit about God working never stops working, is the song Waymaker. And Lorna chose that not knowing that I was preaching on this particular subject. You are here moving in our midst. You are here working in this place. Working. God is always at work. The Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that's who you are. You're touching every heart. You're healing every heart you're turning lives around, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. You never stop working. It's a profound thought. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I want you to consider that God is at work. He is mending hearts. He's healing hearts. And he's at work in our lives whether we see it or don't see it. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.